Hi everyone and welcome to today's Youth Voice Pioneer podcast where today we are joined by some very special guests uh, as an introduction. We are going to say your name, your role and a little question as well. We're gonna, so we want you to say your name, your role and then if you were Inspector Gadget, what gadget would you need to improve young people's perception of your service and social care? Then for young people, how a, a gadget you would use to improve your own perception on health and social care. So I'm going to go first. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Connor, I'm a Youth Voice Pioneer. And if I was Inspector Gadget, I would create uh, tutorials on how to access different services as I am 18 and having to book appointments by myself and it is very scary without my mummy to hold my hand. So a few tutorials would be absolutely marvellous. And I tag Hannah. Hello, my name's Hannah and I'm also a youth voice pioneer. If I had a gadget, it would be a jargon blaster so that whenever I'm looking through paperwork, I can just shoot the page and get rid of all the jargon and have it replaced with actual English words that everybody can understand. I tag Nigel. Hi, I'm, I'm Nigel. Um, I work for the Care Quality Commission. Um, I manage um, some of our inspections. Um, if I had a gadget, it would be um, some sort of listening advice that amplify people's voices so that when we go and inspect, we can hear people clearly and listen to what they say. I take Maria. Hi, my name's Maria. I work for the Care Quality Commission and I manage the Experts by Experience programme. And if I had a gadget, it would be a kind of magic virtual reality headset that would show people, show younger people uh, how important their views are. I tag Naki. Uh, hey everyone, my name's Naki. Um, I'm also a youth voice pioneer. And the gadget I create is sort of on a similar line to Hannah's, except like whenever you're viewing documents or whenever like a professional is explaining something to you, there'd be like a pair of glasses you could wear and it just summarizes it all in like a 30 second minute video for you for like, everyone to understand more better. And yeah. Finley? Yeah, go on lad. Hi, I'm Finlay. I'm a Youth Voice Pioneer, and my gadget would probably be a candy van inspecting GP surgeries. And I tag Anna. Hi, everybody. My name is Anna, and I work for Hampshire and Isle of Wight Partnership with CCGs as a Children and Young People's Mental Health Commissioner. Um, that was very funny. Um, my gadget would be like a pathway detangler so that I know I don't know anything about sort of physical health pathways but I know in men in our mental health services it's often really complex and difficult for children young people and families to understand where to go and how to access stuff and there's kind of multiple ways in and more ways out than ways in um and I'd like something that kind of untangles like balls of wool so that it's that things are really simple and easy to understand and you don't need professional help in order to be able to access the services that you need. That was great. I think we're going to need a lot of those gadgets, if only they were real. Uh, so we're going to kick off today's podcast by talking about young people and how we are experts by experience. 
And to kick us off, I'm gonna pass to Hannah to talk about her own experience. Yeah, so in general, young people are experts by experience. Um, one thing you'll know off the bat is that unless you are a young person experiencing that service, you cannot see that service for a young person's eyes. You can think back to how you might have experienced it when you were younger, but you are not what a young person in today's world, and unless you are, you're not going to get that same experience. Um, we like to use our experience in help improve services by inspections, that we'll probably mention a bit later on. Um, and young people often like to do this because they want to either help improve a service they've already used and want to make sure it's better for when they need to use it again and for other people to use it. And sometimes because they might have to use that service in the future, we want to make sure the service is really good and that we can get all that we need from it. Also just because we want to create positive change in our area. A lot of services aren't very accessible for young people and we are trying to change that. That is why we're here today. Thank you. And next, we're going to bring in Finley and Naki to talk about their experiences as inspectors. So we sometimes as pioneers and in our various parts of the country run youth inspections. And what they are is they are commissioned by things like health services or, um, for example, a police service might do it. And they want us to look at their service and how it, uh, how it caters to young people and what they can do better. So we recently inspected the Care Quality Commission, the CQC, and come up with various recommendations. And the key to youth inspections is just looking at it from that point of view of a young person, from all sorts of angles. We, we get training in doing focus groups, doing interviews. We sometimes run surveys to ask ask other young people about how they see it so that we can come to a conclusion and then go here's how you can improve um, and services usually really welcome that but they don't happen often enough and we often think that it'd be great if this was worked in and instead of services having having bolted on bits as a result of um, children's recommendation and young people's recommendation Instead, you have to involve them in the design process as a part of your culture. How do you reward your young people for being involved and incentivize them to become involved? And that can take a lot of forms, and I think we'll talk about that a bit today. Okay, so I think my inspecting, my youth inspecting experience is that in Wandsworth, where I am currently based, uh, we have a group called uh, the Young Commissioners, and we work closely with our borough's uh, clinical commissioning group. And what we do is that we inspect different mental health services around the borough. It's a group of about 10 to 12 of us. And what we do is that we created four categories in which the services would have to perform pretty well in, and we'd give them improvements on which is the services environment for when young people walk into the building, relationships that both staff members have to one another, but also staff to young people. Uh, other two categories are accessibility of the service. So how soon can young people access the service or can they access it via a Zoom call, maybe a phone call? And also awareness of the service. So do they advertise themselves well enough, in, for example, for schools or for need or send young people? And after that, we collate all the answers that they that were given and we scored each category out of five where we send those reports back 
and they are turned into a one-page infographic for both the CCG and for services themselves to read on and to make the improvements on. So that for I believe is in the third quarter of this year, they'll be able to collate all the infographics together and we'll have another meeting with the CCG in order to change the funding and in order to change what services should focus on more. And how this has improved is that, so from talking with other young people outside of the commissioners, I sort of get an idea of how a service runs, not only from personal experience, but also from talking about it with other young people. So it's good to sort of like have those range of experiences and sort of help to, which helps to evaluate the service, like how well do, do they engage with young people? How well is the, how well is the help effective for young people? And yeah, that's basically it. Lovely. Um, so now I'm going to throw it over to our guest speakers and I want you to think about like, what do you think young people's perception is of your service? Happy to say something. Go for it, please. And I, I read the CQ, your CQC inspection report with great interest, actually, because I was going to just put in the chat, but I'll say it out loud. I don't think, and I don't, I hope this isn't a disservice to young people, but I don't think um, young people in our locality are particularly aware of the work of the CCG, of the Clinical Commissioning Group, because we don't and haven't done um, historically really worked with young people or engaged with young people on the work that we do and we've actually commissioned participation people to try and help us change that we've just started a project um together last week actually which is fantastic um i think some of our commission services have a much better relationship with and um partnership with children young people and families and you know that's it's not the same across the board certainly I think some of our voluntary sector providers, so we've got where, where we are, we've got some voluntary sector organisations that provide community counselling services. And I think they work really brilliantly in partnership with young people in terms of developing their service so that it better meets the needs of young people. Um, and people really sort of shaping that, working in partnership, promoting it. But I think we've got a long way to go with some of our other services, especially like our CAM service. Um, you know, they do a great job, but actually it could be so much better. Has any, has any other speaker got anything they would like to add? Yeah, I, I think um, I'll probably agree with, in, in a sense, um, I'm not so sure how well people know anything about CQC in relation to children and young people. I think we're seen very much as a regulator um, and that we inspect adult adult social care services or adult health services. I, I manage, I'm responsible for our inspection of children's services um, that we do. Um, and I'm not sure that's well, well known. Uh, so I think one of the issues for me would be how would we promote CQC to ensure that children and young, young people are aware of, of CQC and what we do. Uh, what do you think, Maria? Totally agree with that, Nigel, about raising awareness. How important younger people's voices are actually in all of this because younger people use GPs, you use dentists, you use hospitals, you use mental health services, you use all sorts of services. And also a lot of young people are actually carers. 
so they have experience of services for, for older people as well. Um, and I also wanted to come back to what was raised earlier about how important it is to get younger people involved right from the beginning and how we design what we do mm. so that it's relevant and pertinent and easy to access and not full of jargon. I think I'm going to bring in Hannah here to add in some of her thoughts. Yeah, leading off from the conversation that we've had, if you need any more um, reasons as to why young people should always be involved in inspections, is um, one that inspection that I was involved in a couple of years ago as a care leaver. Um, a group of us went to inspect the housing projects they have for us in our local county. And we'd talked to the people that were using those services and us as care leavers were expecting to have to use these services in a couple of years. And we found out what was good, what was bad, what needed changing, what could be improved on in other places. And because of that piece of work that we did, it meant that another housing area was built and is in the process of being built up because of our inspection. And if we hadn't done it, that wouldn't have happened and it would have meant that we were still pushed for services. So obviously really good things can come from young people being listened to and it's just important that every service really takes that on board and starts to push for that for young people to be involved in everything they do. Yeah as well as improving your services one of the advantages of involving young people is also that young people gain a lot from it so you have young people learning these skills of research and inspection and understanding how these care systems work. Um, and that, especially for me, really broadens your horizons. You don't, young people already have their experiences of the services they've been in, and that's really valuable, but they can't always see the deeper convoluted, more corporate or whatever systems beneath it, that it's adults' job to understand and deal with. And when you put those two two bits together the best of both adults and young people's roles that's when you get the best solutions so when you're designing participation and you're trying to get young people involved it needs to be more than just a feedback box at the end of the form um, you have to give young people the insight and the skills in collaboration to understand what's going on and how they can improve it and that's how you get to really constructive outcomes can I just respond to Finley on that? I, I completely agree. And one of the things about the Experts by Experience programme, it, it has a social value element. So what can it give back to people who help us to hear people's voices, to help us to understand about the quality of care services? And um, absolutely, you know, we've had people join the programme who've then gone on to, um, who've been perhaps family carers for a long time or who have used services for a long time. And they've used that experience to then go on to paid employment. It's given them that confidence. So that's just one of the things that we, we are very um, enthusiastic about in terms of the programme. And if we can explore other ways where we can actively and proactively involve younger people in that and to help us design programmes of work, that, that would be fantastic. So it's, it's not just about going on inspections. It's also about helping us to design our policies, um, our documentation, our methodologies, how we do our work. So it, it's really important to get people involved. Definitely with what you said about social value, because I mean, for me, the skills I've had and I know a lot of people who've worked with participation people who've gone on um, to have amazing jobs that they wouldn't have been able to do otherwise because they've got all these skills and they've seen all these different 
circumstances and situations. And the other thing to consider is these are your future employees, potentially. They're not only everyone else's future employees that we're giving social value to, and it's a really cost-effective way of giving social value um, and skills to people, but they're potentially a services future employees, and you want to think about what impression are they getting and how are they understanding the service so that they can give you value now and in the future. And, oh, one thing to add, they're also advocates for your service. You involve young people, and if you do a good PR job of it in particular, they then become a new face of your organisation. So having young people fronting up your campaigns in, in a way where they're enabled to understand they know what they're doing and they're designing it, that then becomes really powerful and other young people can really relate to that. Well, I absolutely agree with what you're saying. I think you're absolutely right. We um, are led uh, in CQC on a uh, thematic review of um, mental health services for young people a couple of years ago. And we involve young people in the planning of that. So they, they came, we had young people who came to the uh, planning sessions. Uh, the contribution they made was, was absolutely valuable and actually kept people grounded. We had lots of very important people in that in those meetings who kept talking at a very high level. Um, and actually young people asked the very simple questions, the very important questions about well, what does this mean for young people and children? They asked the right questions and it made a huge difference. But the other point that you that you mentioned there is I also saw these young people really develop during the course of, of the work. You could see how they grew in confidence. And, and and understood more and more uh, what the work was about and, and actually increased the, the contribution they made. They were absolutely fantastic. Sorry, Maria. Thank you, Nigel. I, I'm trying not to take up too, too much of your space, Nigel, but you know how enthusiastic I get about all this. I can't help myself. <laughs> um, it's around um, also what you were saying, Athenia, around um, enabling people almost to become ambassadors and it's showing people what why is it important for me to be involved in this work and one of the thing one of the fundamental principles certainly of the experts by experience program is people can find it much easier to speak to someone with that shared common experience so for a younger person to speak for a younger person to speak to another younger person that that's invaluable because i think you you definitely have a different conversation than you would have a younger person to somebody who's perceived as perhaps part, a suit or part of the system. Mm, that's interesting, especially talking about um, including young people more. Um, we offer a training program in which we go to come, companies come to us and then we get the opportunity to teach them about the power of youth voice and thinking about where and how they are using the voices of young people, if they're using any at all. So we go in with PP staff and also us as young people as well. And we get to share our own experiences on how Youth Voice has impacted us and impacted the way that we've accessed services. And it's made a lot of the professionals think about their own practices within their own company as well. And especially, it's not often thought about young people being put into like big board meetings when it concerns them, especially when designing services for young people. It's mainly done, most of it by adults. There's been very little to any consultation with 
young people and like young people haven't actively been involved in making decisions or being involved in processes that will affect them or affecting the service that will go on to them and I think it's quite eye-opening because like the power of youth voice is not to be understated by any means like young people are like the most vocal group out there when it comes to complaints compliments but it's about knowing where to go to and making sure that that voice is heard properly I think it's very important yeah and I think um, Connor I was going to say this although it's really all, all the all the things we talked here about how important it is to involve young people in our inspection activity there's another element to our, our inspections which is how well are health services how well are gps hospitals trusts anybody else how well are they involving children and young people in their work how are they ensuring that they're listening uh, to people so that's the other thing that we have to look at and think about i think it's about how do we ensure that the services we look at how well are they involving children and young people in the work just sort of following up on um what nigel has said i think one of the things that um we as commissioners particularly in, you know i i know it i know it's much better done in other places and probably more poorly done in in other places as well but um you know we in hampshire and isle of wight need to ensure that we are somebody put or finley you've put that in the chat actively seeking feedback but not just feedback actively seeking involvement from children young people and families um all of the time so for example when the services that we've currently got in place were commissioned i don't know about five years or so ago we, there was a big exercise done with young people across um hampshire particularly at the time not so much the isle of wight because a lot of our system has changed since then um but actually that was five years ago and some of those well many of those young people aren't in services any longer and actually what we need is we need that that youth voice and that kind of um influence of young people and feedback and um co-leadership and co-production and co-design to be always current i know that we can't we're not in a position to change services kind of year on year and ask different things of services which are already you know very sort of stretched and kind of coping with you know challenges kind of from all sides but actually it's not all right for us just to have asked those questions and done that piece of co-design and co-production five years ago it needs to be kind of on the table as a current issue and we as commissioners need to be asking those questions of our providers all of the time how are you involving young people so not not just for our work not just for sort of designing and planning services but actually how are our commission services like cams like counseling and like again i'll talk about the mental health bit because that's what i know um you know how are they actively involving young people in all parts of their service whether that's about young people talking about their experiences of their care or involved more broadly in you know in the design and delivery of those services and that needs to be a thread that kind of comes through all our work and it needs to be all the time rather than a, at a point where we're just maybe thinking about commissioning a service it needs to be like a, a woven thing you know throughout all of the work that we're doing sorry i just went on and on there for a bit oh it's no, good. I, I was just Love going it. to say I, I completely agree with you it, it shouldn't just be something that's done at one point in time it needs to be an ongoing conversation with people and asking younger people how do we create that ongoing conversation so that it's always fresh it's always new and it's always relevant i would just like to bring in here an experience i had at around the end of the year um 
it's something that I think every young person working in this kind of environment has had. Um, and it's one that I've had every now and then. But I had three in about the space of a week. And honestly, it made me quite angry. And what it was is that I was invited to a couple of different meetings with different organisations. And um, I thought I was there to help improve their service, help give some insight. But honestly, I pretty much ended up leaving those meetings feeling like I was furniture and that I was there to tick a box. We went through the entire meeting in like in two of them where I didn't say more than two words of like hello and bye. And there was nothing for me to comment on, nothing, no time when they'd came to me and give me, gave me any space to talk. And in one of them, I ended up saying that I didn't feel like I had anything to add because I didn't know enough about the topic. And I was met with silence for a couple of seconds and then they moved on. And I was, I was mad, I was infuriated. And I don't get mad, but it had made me very angry. And it brings in the point that when young people are involved in making their own choices, make, talking about and making their own decisions, they are empowered and they're informed and they can really help. They are then invested in the outcomes of what they're talking about. If people are just kind of listened to but shoved to the side and nothing's acted upon it. Young people are very quickly going to lose interest as anybody would because nobody likes to be ignored. So my question there to anyone is that uh, if you are inviting young people to speak at your meetings, to be at your meetings, are you inviting them there to be furniture, to tick a box, to say, I had a young person at my meeting? Or are you inviting them there to help them and to help you help them learn about how to be in a meeting how to compose themselves and how to have their voices listened to and heard and making sure that you're having meaningful contact and that with all of that it's quality over quantity i would much rather go to one meeting and speak for half an hour than go to 10 and speak for two minutes because of, often in those two minutes it's nothing important and often my voice is just lost in the sea of voices and nothing comes from it yeah, yeah, and I, I recognise what you're saying very well. I've, I've certainly been to meetings where I think it's been a, check, a tick box exercise rather than a, uh, a genuine attempt to involve and listen to young people. The the CAMS uh, thematic report that I referred to early on, we had young people in the in, in the room there, and I think we took a lot of um, made a lot of effort to ensure that those that the young people that came both were supported very carefully before they came they spent a lot of time we spent a lot of time preparing them for the meeting and to understand what the meeting was going to be allowed going to be about uh, we also provided a support person for everybody each person that came and we also um did a talk about what's the word a sort of a debriefing afterwards we, we made sure that we talked to them at the end of the meeting to say was that okay for you how was it could we have done anything differently so there is a, you, I think organisations have to, and that's CQC as well, we have to make a real effort. If we're involving people, we've got to make a real effort to support them and enable them to, to input. Um, we're just starting to do a, um, a, a fairly big piece of work in, in our system. So across Hampshire and the Isle of Wight, and also with our neighbouring cities, Southampton and Portsmouth, on creating some new hospital-based services um, for um, children and young people's mental health liaison, which is about um, ensuring that, you know, if young people and when young people come into crisis in hospital, they're appropriately supported and, you know, not necessarily admitted to hospital if that doesn't need to happen, et cetera. And um, we're working really hard to, to kind of get that expert by experience um, 
element of young people's experiences and 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 voices really sort of strongly at the center of that group but it's quite a kind of clinical group and it's quite complex stuff because it's involving lots of different systems so we're trying really hard to work with a very sort of small cohort of young people and parents in fairness as well to understand how they best feel that they can make that contribution in terms of kind of guiding stuff sharing their experiences um putting forward suggestions for kind of operating standard operating procedures and things like that so their involvement is really meaningful but actually you know them being in a room of or you know in a, in a zoom of 30 plus clinicians runs the risk Hannah of kind of repeating your furniture experience which is awful because there's all these clinical conversations going on so actually we're sort of trying to have those conversations running alongside and in and outside of the meeting to find best ways of engaging with our young people to find out how they want that contribution to, to kind of best be shared and I'm not an expert on participation at all it's not something I'm particularly good at which is why I've asked Antonia to come and help us but one of the things we've recognized is that actually having young people sat in the room of clinicians can just be really hugely overwhelming and possibly not that productive so we need to explore with them different ways of ensuring that their involvement is really meaningful and can make a real change to the services we're trying to develop I hope that makes sense yeah that was very nice and just to like add on to that talking about like with Hannah's experiences as well um I'm gonna get some of like the other young people talk about like their lived experiences as well especially when it's like accessing like services and stuff I know for me personally having uh recently turned 18 about to turn 19 having to access a lot of services by myself and not knowing particularly like how to do it by myself because normally if you're under certain age you require like like a parent consent or sort of like parent signature in order to access certain services and having to do that by myself such as like book GP appointments dentist appointments and pick up prescriptions by myself there's no set of rules it's kind of like just un understood that now that you're 18 you're an adult you know how to do this stuff like boom like that's it and it's very daunting like it's almost like you're just thrown into the deep end, like you're thrown in, in the, in the, into the adult world and all of a sudden you've got like the pharmacist behind the counter shouting your name and, and to confirm your address out loud. It's very, it's very shocking for the first time and it's all very new and all very scary. But then also it can be quite freeing as well, especially when it comes to accessing some services because I know um, some of our, 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 our pioneers here have had um, some some issues about like me being a certain age and then requiring parental consent to access some services. I was wondering if any of them would want to come in here, maybe Naki. Um, I'd say, yeah, the experience that I had, it was actually like, I think a couple years ago. I remember going to the GP with my parents and I wanted to ask a personal question to the GP. And I had to look at my parents and be like, guys, you know the drill. You have to please vacate the premises while I ask the GP a question. And you know, obviously they gave you a few looks back and then the GP started to get a bit worried as well because he was like, okay, what's, what's this young person gonna ask me? 
And then I asked the question and everyone was completely fine. And then, you know, he didn't tell my parents anything. It was fine. But then afterwards, my parents asked me like a load of questions like, oh, what did you ask? What was it about? Are you okay? Do you need to go to the hospital? Do you need to come to the GP again? I was like, okay, cool. You know, they're my overprotective parents. You know, they're, they are just doing what they can to take care of me. But then it was like that worry of like, well, if I get older, would this be like the exact same thing? Like when I turn like 17, 18, and I keep going to the GP with my parents will go in again. And if I tell them something, would it be relayed back to my parents? Like, was like, it was always a bit of concern about like privacy and, you know, wanting obviously to keep my parents in the loop, but obviously like wanting to, you know, keep some stuff close to my chest. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And just to add on, especially with like services, uh, um, specifically like 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 sexual health services, because at the end of the day, there are young people out there that are becoming more mature and are having sex. So then, when they go to access services, like they need a test for like an STD, or they need to go get condoms or the morning after pill, they then require a parental signature or some sort of parental consent and it's it's not it's not ideal situation especially if the parents don't know about the young person's experiences and what they're going through and just going back to like these rules for young people made by um, adults and it doesn't make any sense because like you can refer yourself to like a mental health service but yet you can't go to a sexual health service for certain things it's very much like it's very much confusing I'm not, I, I won't lie there's no other way to say it um, I think Finley has a point he'd like to bring in yeah so Connor's Connor's right we did an inspection of sexual health services in Dorset uh, I think a year or two back now and um, one of the things we found there was there are all these rules that are designed for adults and then it's kind of especially around the 16 to 18 mark and then below 16 it gets quite convoluted in how it works there's Fraser guidelines and Gillick competency and you need this to have you need consent for this and you can get around parental consent for this and young people have no idea about any of that and luckily uh, the staff could explain it very well for us but Quite often we found the perception was that young people didn't know whether they'd be allowed to go uh, to sexual health clinics without parental consent or would their parents be told especially when it comes to things like gp surgeries and getting gp appointments when the registered address is your home address or the registered correspondence is with parents there's a lot of issues around data sharing and what gets shared with parents either deliberately either by design or accidentally around treatment. Do letters accidentally get picked up by parents about things that young people might not want parents to know about? And that, again, comes down to having flexible systems where you can discuss with young people what their needs are, what they want out of this, what information they want shared and how they want that managed. And it just comes down to asking people. Yeah, I think leading on from Finley, like it's a point from once we turn 16, we're told to act like adults, to be an adult, but we're not treated like adults and we are still expected to have to have parents to sign for things and to organise things and to be in the know about everything that we're doing. And for some people, that's fine. That's OK. They don't mind their parents knowing. 
Um, some people say they have overprotective parents. And for some, that can even be damaging. Like, what if your problem is with your parents? What if it's your mental health is being damaged by your parents? If you're trying to access mental health services, but you're 16 or you're under 16, and how do you get access to those services without your parents knowing? And if the parents then want to know why you want to access those services, and you have to give a reason or your doctors have to give a reason or ask for them to sign a form to be sent somewhere it can just make the situation so much worse so why when when we are old enough to make our own decisions do we do some people still have to ask for consent to be able to make decisions about themselves um, in their own body when it comes to things like sexual health um, and then leading on from notes and like data sharing and things like that um, from a care leaver perspective, I decided um, that I was going to ask for my notes from uh, Dorset County to be shared with me. Um, for a start, they can only be shared with you at a certain age when people deem that you're ready. And that works really well for some young people, but for others, obviously, that can hinder it. And you can not, not always told the reasons as to why you're not being allowed to see your own data. But also for me, um, I requested mine in August, just after my birthday, and it took five months for them to send it to me. Um, and like, I'm pretty sure it's slightly illegal because they're meant to take a month to send you your data. So, and with that time span, how long it took them to get me something that I'd asked for meant that maybe I was ready to read it in August, but in September, but come, you know, November, December, I wasn't really ready anymore. And suddenly I had these nine envelopes dumped on my doorstep, ready to read that I wasn't so sure I wanted to look at, but now they're there and they're like calling to me to read them. Um, and things like that, where people just kind of skipped over and things aren't really taken too much into consideration. Just needs a bit more thought around it, really. Yeah, I, I just have a question about, um, do you have examples of where things have done, been done really well? So examples of what good involvement of uh, younger people looks like? I think uh, moments that have been done well are very underappreciated because it's very easy to, easy to point out where something's gone wrong and to complain about it. It's much easier to do that because you have the, the energy to do that. Oh, I want this change. I don't want this to happen to anyone else. I don't want this to happen again. Like that energy spurs you on to do something. But whereas something positive and like compliments, it's very much like, oh, it's almost like what I expect a service to do so why should I compliment them like oh well done your staff are so friendly like I and I appreciate that it takes I don't especially you don't know where to go to give feedback for a lot of these places like even with complaints young people don't know where to go and don't know how to access them they only know how to access the service if they do know how to access the service but complaining and compliments is like it's not signposted on where we can go to in order to give these feedback. I don't know if that's the same for anyone else. I think in terms of involvement, a lot of the projects we do with participation people are generally very good. You've got everything from having young people leading the projects uh, to being part of the kind of conclusion of it and communicating that to decision makers and then decision makers coming back and telling us what's happened so that we know we've made an impact. It's very hard to ask people to keep putting in time and effort if they're not seeing what's happening. And I can't think of a specific example off the top of my head, but we've seen 
some NHS trusts or GP surgeries that do involvement on a school, small scale really well. We've seen uh, um, some schools, the school councils do it really well. And it usually just comes down to having staff members who are willing to listen and willing to learn about their practice when it comes to involving young people and keeping that culture going instead of it just being a one-time thing. I said earlier in the chat that my head teacher at my school loves going on about his student voice program and how he made this decision 10 years ago with student voice and we're sticking to it and it's a great achievement by him when actually the student voice is dysfunctional and a decision made 10 years ago especially when it comes to mobile phones which is what it concerned things have changed since 10 years ago phones no longer have headphone jacks like we've come a long way and doing participation once doesn't doesn't work so it just needs to be ongoing and a friendly culture in which people are rewarded whether it's a compliment or a complaint thank you very much for that um i think we're going to move on now to our takeaways so this is a point of the podcast where we as young people take what we have talked about this podcast and then we give sort of um some recommendations and ideas for people to take away and I'm not talking about a Chinese or a Nando's here I'm talking about tangible ideas which is such a shame I know Anna's really upset um so I think we are going to start off with decision makers so our first takeaway for decision makers is Ask young people for their points of view on services and don't assume that they are experts by experience. Our point number two is to proactively engage with young people to seek their views in order to change services to meet the needs of young people like we do with young inspectors. Number three is that you should work with young people and give them the skills to collaborate successfully with decision makers. That can be for designing policies, documentation, how the service works and how they're treated on an individual level. Our takeaway number four is having young people fronting up campaigns and enabling them to become ambassadors, which can be very powerful and help to engage other young people. Our fifth takeaway for decision makers is our a conversation with a young person that is an ambassador provides a very different and potentially more honest outcome than sharing with the other service providers. Point number six is that service providers should actively seek feedback on services from young people and keep co-production current and don't make us furniture in your meetings. Number seven is that you should support young people to get involved to influence professional development processes too. This means appraisals and recruitment. And our last takeaway for decision makers is enable young people to access services easily. To do this, establish clear guidelines around consent, which creates flexibility for young people to discuss their own personal issues without parental consent. Now we're going to move on to our takeaways for young people. Our first one is um, giving feedback and sharing your views on health and social care services is really valuable for their service providers as it can help them change their services and help other young people in the future. 
Point number two is that getting involved in inspecting projects can give you valuable skills for the future and can help lead on to future employment. Number three, service providers that do youth participation well will make sure that you get the right support, which will enable you to get your voice heard and make a valuable contribution. And then they'll tell you about what they've done as a result, so you know what you've changed. And look here again, I've got the final takeaway for young people. Our number four is make sure you're aware of when you do and don't need parental consent. You don't need parental consent to seek support from some services. Thank you very much. I want to thank all, all, all of our guests for coming on today and make sure that you check out our other podcasts on www.participationpeople.com forward slash podcast. You can also check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Music. And always, as always, thank you so much for, for, for listening and clicking on our podcast. Thank you. And those are back. Uh, pioneers of thank you so much for having us it's been really good yeah thank, thank you, you very, very much, much. We enjoyed it thank you